Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... We created something that actually specifically works for our women. So the first thing is listening to the women. The second thing is really the the power of partnership and the power of empowerment of the women. It's about growing the network because if you don't grow the network and it's then dependent on people popping in and popping out, it doesn't become sustainable. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 439 of Impact Boom. My name's Sarah, and I'm passionate about visioning, empowering, and contributing to positive, regenerative, heart and soul-led initiatives that are happening locally and globally. Today, we're speaking with Christine Mudavanu and Luz Restrepo. On today's podcast, we will discuss how these women are creating an incredible movement for migrant business women in Australia and beyond, and how micro actions lead to macro changes. Christine and Luz, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. To start off, it would be fantastic to learn a little bit more about you both. So if you'd like to share a little bit about your background and what it is that led you to where you are today. Luz, do you want to start? <laughs> we need to make a green day who are going to start. <laughs> uh, Luz Restrepo, I am 14 years in Australia, come as a, seeking political asylum 14 years ago with no English, no money, no connections but a businesswoman back in my country. In my in my search of looking for a job, this is a big question that all of us as a migrant do, give me a job. I know how to work. In the search for my own job, I found the barrier that nobody is going to give you a, a job if you don't know who you are. So see, for, if we people are not going to give us a job, we are going to create our own jobs. And this was the reflection. Uh, migrant Women in Business is my second venture in Australia. I have already settled a charity that is working with United with Nation Women, 40 employees, 2,000 women supported in the journey or found themselves in this country. Then realized that the charity system is broken, that we need to find empowered tools that people can pay the bills, develop giving all the possibilities that we can create. We are not a pity people, we are an investment in this country, and we need to find corporate tools to empower migrant women business owners. Three years ago, I met with Christine and with Corinne in the middle of the pandemic and in the first lockdown, and we together decided to develop Migrant Women in Business, PTDLTY, with the aim to support migrant women business owners, women who already have something to offer to the market, can be a product or can be a service. And we start this journey to work together 
how to find the correct tool for migrant women business owners. Amazing. And Christine, can you share a bit more about your background? All right. So I moved to the lovely sunshine state of Queensland in 2010. Prior to that, I was living in New Zealand, very windy Wellington, very different from here. When I moved over here, what really astounded me was the limited diversity in leadership and in business development of women who look like me. I started on this journey a long time ago of really trying to answer that question. Why are there so few women uh, in leadership? Because the women that I knew were leaders. The women that I knew were business owners. The women that I knew were smart women who were leading economies. And yet I wasn't seeing that reflected either in business or even in the profession. I was working in government at that time. I am also a Kiwi, so I had moved here as a New Zealand citizen. As I started to progress my journey, I realized there was a lot of systemic barriers for women from multicultural backgrounds. Part of it was the skills assessment framework, which basically meant that a lot of women came here with a lot of skills, but they couldn't actually use them in the workplace because for whatever reason, those maybe were not the skills that Australia was looking for at that time. I did an event called Queensland Migrant Women in Business Summit a few years ago now, I think 2017-18, if I'm not mistaken. There was a report that was done by Deloitte and it looked at the opportunity cost of migrants not working in their profession and what your average migrant actually look like. You'll be surprised to know that it's a 35-year-old commerce student who has a degree in business and who also has an MBA, not the stereotype. And yes, English was a challenge, but only in about 2%. Most of the women had a good level of the English language that they could actually be employed or be doing business. So what I quickly realized and like what Luz was saying earlier on was that business is the way to really support women to realize their economic potential. So I developed a culturally supportive small business program, which I've been running now for over five years. And it was supported initially by the Scanlon Foundation. They funded the pilot, and that was in conjunction with the Islamic Women of Australia Association. And we were initially looking at how do we get more Muslim women into business? That was initially what we were looking at. And so that um, that pilot was quickly funded into a three-year program. And so we quickly extended because we realized the issues that we were dealing with in the Muslim community applied more broadly to multicultural women. So we moved from our pilot to be more inclusive of women. So that program, we've been running it fairly consistently for the last five years. And so during that time, three years ago, like what Luz said, we met and Luz was starting her journey with migrant women in business, trying to answer the same questions I was. And serendipitously, our paths aligned. And we said, look, why don't we come together and create something nationally, rather than working separately? As Liz always says, we are stronger together. And we really wanted to create something that would really drive impact. So that's how Migrant Women in Business, the business network that we're talking about was born. Amazing. And can you tell us a little bit about what has happened since you've combined forces and gone national? What does that look like and what's some of the impacts that you're creating together? <laughs> the first thing that we under, uh, we found is that we are talking about, as Christine says, a lack of representation of migrant women business owners. Yeah, uh, We found that from the 2.5 million businesses that Australia has, 
2.1 million are macro businesses. Macro businesses means less than four employees, usually the founder working by himself or herself to pay the bills with the profit. We found that these people do not have any kind of business support. There is no government support and there is completely lack of knowledge about what is a macro business and what it makes different to a small business. Because a small business is between five to 20 employees and they are invoicing more than half a million dollars. We are talking about 35% of the economy that has no support. And into that, 10% of migrant women can represent 10% of the society in Australia. And we represent three to 5% of the BIA businesswoman. This was the first funding. The other funding is that usually migrant women are voiceless because if they get a job, because they are long-term employee, when they go to a job, they are not going to complain to their boss. And we found that business women, we do not have a problem speaking our mind because it's the way that we sell our products and services. Just we found an amazing opportunity to support macro businesses to drive and grow. And we, in the industry year, we found two ways. Find commercial opportunities. They have beautiful products and services, but they don't know where to sell it. And we start to explore. We develop our online marketplace that will be the competitor of Etsy called Made by Many Hands, that women can have online presence and they can sell their own store and sell their products and services as they want. We just take 15% commission of Made by Many Hands, yeah? Then with Made by Many Hands, we found that it's not just digital presence. We need to find other commercial opportunities. So we start to do corporate gifting, how to connect the women to collaborate each other and make hampas, go to market together. And now we start the process to wholesale together. So made by many hands become this multi-venda, multi-sales channels platform where the women are learning how to sell and explore different targets together. Then we found that also macro businesses, they are in the business, not on the business. They do not have time for business plan, financial projections, and mentoring, vomiting ideas, what you should do. Because I am so busy trying to pay my bills today that I do not have time to sit and move outside of my business. So we start to develop a new platform called Made by Many Minds. That is to connect macro businesses with macro business experts who help with hands-on practical support to the women. Where to find an accountant, a lawyer with fair payment, no corporate wages, who can do my website, who can help me to do my social media, how to do my first human resources a memorandum of understanding or how to do uh, work over uh, uh, insurance. Things sure. like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. People think granted. So this has been the journey. We found also the power to put business women together to pitch to different stakeholders or to each other business. 
Today is start to support each other. Instead to bring a mentor, we put women together and one knows how to open a market, so one knows how to take professional photos, and they start to develop like a circular economy to support each other. This is where we are. Christine, I am missing something? No, I think Luz has articulated well. So we've built our ecosystem, right? And our ecosystem is really intended to be that peer-to-peer -peer learning. So Migrant Women in Business forms the backbone. So the Business Association forms the backbone of, of this community that we are creating. But we really are about empowering women because a lot of the messaging that's given to migrant women is from a charity subservient. Every time you approach the conversation, this is why we're going to the impact investing market because we really are wanting people to understand the economic impact that a small investment has in changing the trajectory, not just of the women's lives, but also the impact on the economy. We're bringing products and services to the Australian economy that would otherwise not be brought to the fore. So for example, the women bring their, so if you have a look at our website, there's a whole range of products, right? There's your products and services. And as Liz was talking about, there's your services side. So if I talk a little bit about the products, you'll find there's a broad range of products. So there is food-based products, right? You will find there is also homeware type products, there's gift type of products, right? That can all be brought off and they're handmade. The majority of them are handmade, not all of them. The majority of them are handmade, but a lot of them are imported from the countries that the women come from and they're curated for an Australian audience. But what the presentation, if you look on the website, it's really professional. The packaging, the corporate gift giving, what that allows is then it takes the products and services from being things that are bought at a street corner shop front to actually be things that you can put a premium pricing on in a corporate gifting catalog that you can take to the Australian gifting and hosting fair that you can see in an Australia post. So in terms of creating these commercial opportunities, what the network is about is really working and looking at, okay, where can we open up opportunities for the women to come in with their products. We don't do the business for them. The women own their own businesses. Liz and I don't produce things. We work and manage the network. We're about creating the commercial opportunities. We're about creating the linkages. We're about working with industry partners to bring this collective group of women, which is growing. We have over 150 women in our network, mostly in Victoria. And we're really looking at how do we bring this more into Australia and New South Wales. We did initially get some seed funding from the Victorian government, and that helped to establish the backbone in terms of funding for core resources that are needed. But the impact investing funding that we're now looking at getting into, it's going to actually look at how do we take ourselves to that next level and make our business model more sustainable. Sure. What have been your key learnings so far in developing migrant women in business? The first one is that we need to change the narrative. Migrant women are an investment. We know what to do and how to do it. We just need the opportunities to learn how to navigate in society. And big part of the problem is the lack of this commercial support. This is the first learning. The second learning is there are amazing women with products and services that never knock the doors of the charity system and they yeah. are working alone because they are investing their own money, savings, or their partner's money or whatever yeah. in their business. And we just need to 
engage them with us because we can grow potentially their business if they know where to go and who to ask. Make those connections, yeah. These connections are, and we need to see, o sea, we are learning from them, no, they learning from us. We just are connecting that knowledge. Sure. This is a learning process here. The other thing is we need to find sustainable ways to keep the, the association alive, yeah? It's not around writing grants or, or lobby with government money. We need to start to offer services that people pay for them, yeah? Yep. Okay. The other learning is the lack of digital technology development for people with different level of English, business literacy, and digital literacy. Yeah. So we need to be more digital friendly with people who has no access to who are full literacy, digital, and business savvy. This is why our platforms need web development, but has a lot of potential. And yeah. the power of women working together is incredible how so and the way that we are connecting and learning from each other is when yeah. we start to find these opportunities. Yeah. But we need to be more broader with the, the broader community and they learn about what is a micro business, what a micro business needs beyond business plans and mentoring is investment. And this is why probably we are here looking for investors, social and economic investors. The other learning that we've had is also a lot of misinformation, right? There's a lot of misinformation out there about what women actually need. So our network, when we're talking about lived experience, we're talking directly from the mouths of the women. This is what they're saying they need. These are the tools that they need. So in terms of building the Made by Many Hands platform, for example, we scoured the market. So somebody will ask, well, Etsy was built, you know, eBay. Why can't the women just use these platforms? Because they already exist, right? It's not necessarily like we invented something so completely new. But if you look at the rules and regulations that govern those websites, the fees associated with using those websites, the complex terms and conditions, right? When women actually get paid and all of those websites are directed at foreign markets. Now, remembering some of our cohort have low levels of English literacy, I must stress, English is the word here, because the assumption is that if English is your second or third language, you're illiterate, which is completely a misnomer that we, yes, yeah. we absolutely want to correct. Low levels of digital literacy skills, which Luz has talked about. So you'll find with our platform, everything can be done from a mobile phone right? The women get paid. There's one flat fee. They're aware of what the commission is and they get paid instantly. The network takes care of the GST and all of those elements, which then leave the women free to actually pursue and focus on building their business. So we took all of those things that were not working in our mind for our women and we created something that actually specifically works for our women. So the first thing is listening to the women. The second thing is really the, the power of partnership and the power of empowerment of the women. It's about growing the network because if you don't grow the network and it's then dependent on people popping in and popping out, it doesn't become sustainable. So you want to create a model where the women are actually teaching each other and creating this symbiotic relationship. If you look globally, the model that we putting together here is not a new model. If you look at the microfinancing model and you look at the way that model is and the impact that those microfinancing loans have 
on small communities. And if you look at the demographic profile of the women where they've hired the highest level of success, you'll find it's a similar demographic to us. Yes, we're not talking about lending money, but I'm talking about the concept and the structure, which is creating an environment where you offer a commercial opportunity. It's giving that fishing rod for the woman to change her life in her way, on her terms, with the support of a network that understands that is approaching and providing solutions that are culturally appropriate, culturally sensitive, and it's driven by migrant women. Luz is from Southern America. I am from Zimbabwe. All of us collectively together have a common understanding as migrant women of what our needs are. We have a common understanding around what culture means and its impact on us and how we can work collectively together using our lived experience of being a migrant and coming into this place and looking at how do we economically thrive and take care of our families. Brilliant. Ladies, what are some inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently that you feel are creating really positive change? I think within Migrant Women in Business, what struck me has been the growth of a lot of the women. One of my favourite products is EcoVibe. So at the moment, there is the whole sustainability conversation, right? And so our women are actually tackling world-scale problems right? So there's a whole debate around climate change, around the circular economy. And so you would think migrant women in business are just tackling a stereotypical set of products. If you go on the website and have a look at one of our ladies whose uh, brand is called EcoVibes, right? This is economically sustainable household products, and she is merging into personal care products. And just having the thought around sustainable use of everyday products, And this is addressing big things like climate change, right? But you wouldn't immediately attribute it to a network that's as tiny as ours. And so the fact that our women are getting involved in leading cutting edge innovation, my favorites, Jada's Candles, they are absolutely gorgeous. Go and have a look at those. And just looking at the trajectory of where those women started when it was just ideas, just concepts, or maybe they were making few things to them, presenting their products at something like the Australian Gifting and Hosting Fair in Melbourne and just the growth and them having their own stand in the artisanal lane and being able to converse with customers and actually look at orders and that growth. So opening them up to that growth and that opportunity has been really inspiring. And what's also been inspiring for me as we move forward, it's how the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion has really opened up the market to looking at, okay, where should we be investing our money? Because if you look at the impact investing world and you look at the footprint, it does not have a fair representation of women that look like Luz and I. It just, it doesn't. And that's not a criticism, that's just a fact. The problems that we are addressing are not problems that the impact investing market is investing in. So it's that opportunity to be able to change that trajectory. I think now is a really good time because of the conversations around diversity, equity and inclusion and the world opening up to saying, hey, diversity does address different issues, different challenges. How do we bring all of this to the fore? Mm. Absolutely. And to finish off, what are some books or resources that you would recommend to our listeners? One of my books that I love is a book called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And so this book, it's the same as Atomic Habits, right? It's the same concept, same theory, but it really applies to the work that we do with migrant women in business because we're talking about small 
incremental, consistent changes and consistently going on that upward trajectory. Those are not new books on the market, but those are books that, from my perspective, have had really great impact on how I look at business and how I look at the work that we're doing. We're talking about small step-by-step changes, changing habits over time. Yes, the big things happen. Fantastic. We love those. But it's about what you do every single day, waking up on time, making your bed, getting up, going for an exercise. I went to the gym. You said, didn't want to do that. (laughs) You know, like every single day, just doing the things you don't want to do to get to the place you do want to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. And I will move the question in a different way. Yes. Okay. will suggest people to have a look at research in Google, what is a macro business and see the difference between macro business and non-employing business and a small business. Educate yourself a little bit more about this. And the other thing is, have a look how many migrant women have a voice in this country. You can see the lack of representation in the stages of power in this country the lack of representation of successful migrant women that we need to highlight. There are many, we are hundreds, we have a voice, but there is lack of platforms to highlight the work that we are doing. Just have a look and research about this because the uh, urgent call of action is give us platforms to chat, to talk and to speak our voice. Thank you so much, ladies, and huge respect to the amazing work that you're doing in Australia and the seeds that you're planting beyond. Wonderful to hear more about what you're doing with migrant women in business and the ladies who you're collaborating with. So thank you for your ongoing work and contributions and for raising that voice for migrant women in Australia and beyond. Really appreciate your time and your generous insights. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.